Hi, this is Tony Gilkison, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts. Pantheon Podcasts presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you the devil's music. Hey there, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in L.A., and as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. And head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend. Or be damned to purgatory forever. Hi, this is Pleasant Gaiman. Today, my guest on The Devil's Music is the infamous and amazing punk legend and author, Patrick O'Neill. He's written a few memoirs. One is called Gun, Needle, and Spoon. The other one's called Hold Up. And his latest, out now on Punk Hostage Press, is called Anarchy at the Circle K. On the Road with the Dead Kennedys, TSOL, Flipper, and the Subhumans. I cannot wait to talk to Patrick. You guys are going to love him. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Pleasant. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Um, So I cannot put your new book down at at all. I'm, I'm like addicted to it. It's so good. And even if I wouldn't have had a very similar history to you, I wouldn't be able to stop reading it. Also, I got to say that um, 
my my producers on this podcast used to ask me if the guests taking a lot of acid was a prerequisite. Because <laughs> that was just a, a you know, it's a coincidence with a lot of people I had, like obviously my friends and I did it, but sometimes there would be a complete stranger that would talk about taking acid. But now you're the second bank robber, like rock and roll bank robber I'm having on. Because um, Jeff Drake from the Joneses robbed a bank too. I don't know if you know about that. But... Uh, I do not know about that. It's very cool. I'm a good company then. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. <laughs> Happy to have the um, the the rock and roll podcast that's that's inadvertently about crime. <laughs> right. We're also on the edge anyway. Right. We're sort of. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't why don't we sort of start with uh how before you started going on the road all the time and being a, a roadie and a bank robber and heroin addict and stuff, let's let's talk about how you got into um, punk rock specifically. Okay, well, I, I was I was a 17-year-old uh, graphic artist. I was a cartoonist, and I, uh, uh, I, I was the youngest Polish cartoonist in America, and I got a free ride to the Sam School Art Institute uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a printmaker. It was kind of weird. And then uh, uh, my work evolved into being a filmmaker, finally, in four years. But besides all that, was going on at the Sam School Art Institute with all the bands were starting out of there. And the Sam School bands like the Avengers and the Nuns and the Mutants were, were, were coming out of there. And it was sort of happening, uh, it was, you know, it was happening in juxtaposition to all the big hair bands were going on. They had these things in Oakland called Day on the Green with, you know, huge bands and, uh, you know, stuff like, uh, uh, I don't know, Journey and, and Yes and those kind of bands would be playing. And it'd be so impersonal. And I just had lost interest in rock and roll. And I was a long-haired rock and roller, so like that. And uh, I went down to the club, the Mabuhe Gardens, and saw uh, DOA from Canada. And they blew my mind. There was like three of them up on stage just, you know, going at it. And right after that, I, I saw the Ramones. And at that point, which is in the early 70s, uh, I mean, late 70s, I cut my hair off. And I just started hanging out with the punk rock scene. And eventually, uh, uh, I was down at the club every night. And... Got, got to know everybody there, got, got to know the bartenders first, of course, and then uh, hung out and sort of started, just started working the club, started working the club there, and then eventually uh, got offered jobs to go on tour. And that's how I, uh, we, we, you know, my, my best friends was uh, Chris Grayson, who was the sound man at the Mabuhe. And, yes. uh, oh, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize Chris was at the Mabuhe. <laughs> I met him um, when my band, The Screaming Sirens, was touring a lot with TSOL. We used to call him Chris Crazy. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what, well, I mean, he was crazy, but one of the girls thought that was his name when <laughs> when she asked him, when she thought Grayson was crazy, but that's how crazy we were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Chris was the first one of us that sort of made it out of the Bouhe because he started doing sound for for Dead Kennedys, they do they did sound for TSOL and a few other bands. He, yeah, he, he helped record the first first Ripper album. I mean, he was the engineer on, on the, the 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 recorders for the first album and stuff like that. So he was the one sort of making moves out, out, out of there first, and I sort of followed his footsteps. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of people that are listening weren't old enough to experience that early punk scene. Um, and like, it didn't even matter if you were in a band, kind of, you know, everyone, it, it was very, very inclusive in the beginning. I think, you know, like just 
this is something that a lot of people don't know. And also about how all the bands knew each other and helped each other and, you know, would go on tour using one set of equipment or whatever. And, you know, not all the time, but it was such. It was, Absolutely. You yeah. know, what my, my first band was a, a concept noise band and, and you know, it was pretty, pretty horrible. But what our big thing would do is we go get, get a show, we start playing. And then we invite people up on the audience to play our play our instruments, you know, like other musicians we know. And they get up and play our instruments. They they play this music, and we'd be in the bar drinking for free, watching the band get. And get, we finally got paid for that. We barely even played. We, that was the whole concept. The whole concept was to pull people on the audience to play for our instruments, and then we could drink for free. That was my first band. <laughs> we, we did shit like that in the Screaming Sirens a lot too. Like <laughs> we would have people up on stage and one night in Canada, uh, there was this girl that was being really wild in the in the uh, audience and we made her um, come up for, we were doing an encore of Honky Tonk Women. And um, also this guy had been sending trays and trays of shots, like, you know, up to the stage the whole time. And so she was... <laughs> this girl was we just strapped the guitar on her and she was just like making absolute noise with it nothing that had anything <laughs> she was playing it and but she seemed like she was having fun and af after the uh after the set was over I was like um uh, talking to her and I was like wow you did really really you know you did pretty good are you in a band did you want to be in a band and then she goes no, honey, you know you know that guy that's been sending you shots all night and I said yeah and she was like he wanted to come and see you. I'm a hooker. He's my John. I'm only a hooker. I don't want to be in a band. <laughs> nice. I know that was the first. <laughs> <laughs> Always the best. All the best people in our crowds. Totally. <laughs> like, um, so, so when you were when you were working uh, at the Mab and stuff, when when was your first tour with the with the Dead Kennedys, or how did you start touring? Well, I I would do local shows with with the Kennedys. I got hired on. There was a, a road manager with, at that time was Microwave, and uh, he hired me on just to just to load gear. That's a basically I didn't know anything about it. I didn't I didn't, I didn't even know how to tune a guitar at that point, and. Uh, uh, he hired me on this. So I do local shows and we go up and down the coast. I'll be down to LA and and like that. Uh, my first first uh, cross country tour was '84 uh, with with the Kennedys, and that that's the first one I went out on. Uh, we went all the way to the uh, that was during kind of like the Rock Against. No, it was '83. Sorry, '83, '82, '83, something like that. I'm yeah, my mind's you know I can't remember dates. <laughs> we went cross country with the Kennedys to go do the Rock Against Reagan tours. That would have to be eighty three. Oh yeah, I remember Rock Against Reagan. That was that was yeah. so. Um, what was the? <laughs> this is going to open up an entire can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> what was the wildest um, on tour experience with the Dead Kennedys? And then I'm going to ask you with every band, I guess, because this is okay. a lot of what your book's about. <laughs> also, I got to say for you guys listening. Um, you got to remember that in these days when we were touring, there was no cell phones, no GPS. You had to go to a phone booth to call the club to get fucking directions if you didn't have like a paper map or a Thomas guide. And, you know, you'd be like in the middle of Arkansas or somewhere and not know where the fuck you were. Or 
pretty much. But always, if you look, if you look for Skid Row, though, that was usually where the club was. <laughs> that, that was our MO when we were totally lost. We'd be like, where's the worst section of town? And the club find, was there like almost every time. Find the Greyhound bus station. You know, you know, it's right by there, you know. <laughs> with, with the cannings, they, there was always, there were people, there was a whole faction of people that, that hated the candies and just paid money to come down and, and, and fuck with Biafra. And, uh, and so there would be like these huge shows where they would turn into riots. I mean, there was like, in the early days, it was like riots every night with those guys. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was get to be a little, you know, worry about the cops and, you know, then worry about skinheads. It was pretty insane. So like it shows shows like in, in, uh, uh, in outside of uh, uh, Philadelphia, a total Irish uh, neighborhood. We, we, uh, we, we did a show there and they got upset about the name. It was on the marquee and all these Irish people got upset about the name, <laughs> came down and rioted, like they broke in, like smashing the windows of the club. We had to get the hell out of there. We just loaded the gear and got that out of there was like crazy you know and then and the big shows here in la the cops would just come in and and you know swoop in and do crazy shit uh 1984 was it was the night with uh uh it was uh at the at the at the starlight roller rink it was uh uh dead candies it was tsol uh butthole surfers and dead candies coming in on, on new year's eve and uh, afterwards, there was just cops everywhere. It was like walking walking through a, 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 a you know, a, a total like like they're just looking at everything, trying to bust us and stuff like that. So that was the thing with the Kennedys. I mean, it was, it was also the size of the shows. You know, there was always like you know, like like huge jocks and 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 you know, f football type guys trying to kick our ass and uh, and things like that. It was pretty interesting because you know, I mean, like you said, this is early punk rock. This isn't like you know. Where everybody knows, oh, look at Green Day. Green Day is so cool. This is like early days, like you were a freak. People looked at you like, what the hell is this, man? Who's that kid with the spiky hair out here in the middle of nowhere? You know, that that that's what we were dealing with, with especially with the candy. And, you know, and then the candy's name on top of it really didn't help out a lot either. Yeah, I never even thought about the name thing with the dead Kennedys. I mean, that's that's like that's so um. I mean that makes total sense now, but that the names the names of so many bands were were so weird in those days, or just you know weird compared to like I don't know you know regular band names. <laughs> regular names. I, I there was a band called Dayglow Abortions. I remember. Some, some, I remember Dayglow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some some anti some some you know anti-abortion group came down and picketed their show. I'm like, like really? You know, <laughs> that's crazy. You know. Oh my God. Um, well, like that uh was there what was the what was the druggiest tour you were on? Well well, well, the, 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 <laughs> well the, the candies didn't do drugs. It was just the road crew that did drugs, and it was specifically just me that did a lot of drugs. But then later on the road crew was pretty much there. So that that was a non-drug tour. But I mean, be, it would have to be a toss-up between Flipper and and uh, TSOL. And when when TSOL was his heyday, I think we were all strung out. And yeah. then Flipper okay. Flipper was was half half speed freaks, half heroin addicts. Oh so my god! A little <laughs> tough, a little tough in the van at night. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a rule in in my band that if someone was going to take something, there had to be enough for the whole band, so we'd all be able to play as a cohesive unit. 
Ooh, that's and, I don't think I've ever. They were all like you know poly substance abusers, so that wasn't hard. <laughs> we kept drugs all the time, but nobody nobody was addicted. I mean, I'm saying that yeah. loosely, like some people would say that we were all addicted, but right. You know, like you couldn't have like the drummer on speed and then the guitarist on mushrooms or something. Yeah, well, just, you wouldn't it wouldn't work out. <laughs> That could be why flippers sound like shit half the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's have a break and we'll we'll go down another. We'll go down this spiral a little bit longer. So I guess we'll listen to um, we'll listen to the Dead Kennedys now, and then we can listen to Flipper in a little while. Okay, I'm back with Patrick O'Neill, and we're, we're talking about drugs and touring now. Go hand in hand. They're like one of them. <laughs> at least since when I was doing it, it was pretty much, I, you know, you and I were talking about this about, well, uh, you know, earlier. We were talking about how crazy it was, the idea that we would just go out in, into the world and there would be a thinking there was a show there, for one, that some kid was going to have a show somewhere. And the other one is like, I don't know, for me, I was like just, I would just be, I'd be strung out and I'd be leave like the coast. I'd be leave San Francisco. I'd leave LA. I'd leave New York and expect to score drugs out there. And like, I, I don't think, I don't think I could do that these days. You know, not, not that I do drugs anymore these days, but like, you know, I, I it's just, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I think we just had, we had a lot of balls in those days and we had, we were pretty fearless. All of us, you know, we just go, the fact that we just left the, left the eat the coast for one and just go into the middle of America was insane. But then to go in there, middle America strung out on drugs was also another insane thing. You know, I can remember scoring, when I scoring heroin in a biker bar in Norman, Oklahoma and thinking, I'm going to fucking die in here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die in here for a $20 bag. But you know, gotta do it things you gotta do um yeah my band had it easier because i mean i you know because we were all girls when we were touring yeah and um people would drive from long distances to bring us drugs like even nice. if, i mean we didn't even ask for it do you know what i mean like like they'd be, like i remember one time someone was like um gave like a whole like quart size quart size TSA now baggy but it was full of white powder and I thought it was coke and they're like no this is a new drug called ecstasy I mean oh. that, was, that was fucking amazing we, we didn't take it right on the spot but then we realized we didn't get any instructions on it we're sitting in the van going, do you snort it should we put some right. alcohol like do you can't eat the powder right like we didn't know what to do but so we were just <laughs> Trying, you know, multiple choice buffet of how to take it. It's got so fucking waste. I like, I like how the, I like the, the drugs didn't come with instructions. They're just a baggie. Yeah. <laughs> I drug, but also I had no. That was when I think and that was in the window of time, maybe when it was when it was legal or it hadn't been made illegal. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we found out 
<clears throat> there was a um in in Oakland there was this place that had been a pizza factory mm -hmm. that was now like an ecstasy lab and there was there was like white whitish powder all over the floor and I thought it was leftover like wheat flour and someone's like no that's e <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Floor sweepings, new, new meaning floor sweepings. Totally. I mean, you could have just, yeah, you could have done, done a handstand and snorted it or something. <laughs> but yeah, so so we went we went on tour, my band, the Screaming Sirens, a lot. Tell me mm -hmm. some of your best TSOL stories, and then I'll tell you a couple of mine. Oh man, well, I I toured a lot. I did a lot of tours with TSOL. I bought three, three or four tours with them. And uh, you know, the, the, it was it was pretty pretty rough tours in a lot of ways because we all jump in the van. We just we just play shows one after another. Uh, one of the roughest things was me and Chris got were were had to stay with the van in Eudora, Arkansas, for four days. The the van broke down. We got that we were playing in Baton Rouge, and we had to we got the we got the local guy, the only guy that didn't have a pickup truck, the guy that had a van to drive the drive the band to the next show and the, the, the gas wasn't getting to the carburetor. And so we, we were like sitting in this rednecks uh, uh, truck stop uh, to, who was a mechanic who asked him to fix it. And he took him four days to fix it. Well, of course he took Sunday off because he was religious and he, you know, would go have Sunday dinner and he couldn't work on Sunday. We're like, you fucking kidding me. <laughs> and uh, he comes back Monday and fix it and gets out of there. But like we, we Chris were stuck in uh, Eudora for four days Drinking beers, talking to the locals, you know, hanging out. It was like unbelievable. You know, like, like, like you know, like, like, there was, there was like, you know, what's that? Those cadax and the, what are those, what are those bugs in the, in the, in the, in the, in the making all that noise? It's like, oh, like, like locusts, the cicadas, cicadas yeah. you know, and it just felt lonely. It's like, it was like quiet at night. It was like freaked out. We, we like, we literally like sleeping in the van and sitting on the front porch of the gas station and the cop would drive by and wave at us. We'd have a case <laughs> of beer and be just sitting there drinking. It was like, we're locals now. We live here. <laughs> People drive over and go, You're the punk rockers? Yeah, yeah, we're the punk rockers. Yeah, that's us. <laughs> it was unbelievable. You know, but I, you know, I guess what, especially because Ron and, and, and Roach are like such good friends of mine, was really more like like family than a lot of other bands for me. I mean, it was like, it was like, it was like driving across country for, you know, six times with your best friends. We just hang out and have a really good time. So, man, so it was, it was, it was good. It was really good. Yeah, we used to, um, my my band's first album was called Fiesta. And then that was right around when we started touring with TSOL. It wasn't like all cross country, but we would go to different, you know, we'd go to like Arizona or to, you know, Las Vegas or, you know, just it was, or Northern California. Um, so we started, because the um, album was called Fiesta, we started calling them TSOLA. <laughs> and then, and then the, the first time that, that we were gonna go on tour with them we loved them as a band but i don't know why we i guess because we partied so hard we, we were like afraid they were gonna be boring and so then right. when we got to buena park to um skate master take jerry hurtado's house where everyone was meeting and yeah. then um someone from TSO, they said that we should all like switch members and some should go with TSOL and some should go with the screaming siren. So I wound up in um, Chris Grayson's station wagon with um, Mitch and Mike Roach and um, my drummer, Boom Boom. And, and it was really quiet at first and just like not even the radio was on. And Boom Boom was like nudging me like, 
fuck, we picked the wrong vehicle. It's going to be so stupid. But then, but then, uh, oh, and it was also Freddie. Well, I can't remember Freddie's last name, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know Freddie, yeah. Freddie was a, Freddie, for anybody um, listening, Freddie was not famous, but he was infamous. And in, in, <laughs> <laughs> we used to call him Freddie Wild now. That was his nickname that we, like, yeah. our mafia, like, nickname that we gave him. Anyway, so it, not even the radio was on. It was really quiet and boom, and I were all horrified that we were in the dull van. And suddenly, like, Freddie's like, all right, we're about to get on the freeway. And he pulls out this giant bottle of Jack Daniels. And then he had a giant, huge baggie of Coke and starts just, like, pouring it on the back of his hand and shoving it into the back seat. And then, and then me and Boomer just looked at each other and were like, okay, we took the right vehicle. <laughs> then, they, then they taught us about... Um, you have to tell me if you did this with TSOL. They taught us about ride till you break. Did you guys do that? What's okay. that? You're looking blank. Okay, ride till you break was this was um Chris and um Mitch saying ride till you break. Ride till you break is when you turn the heater up all the way. And I mean this was summer anyway, right? Yeah. Right. You turn the heater up all the way, you roll up all the windows. And everybody has to smoke a cigarette, even if they don't smoke. <laughs> and the, the first person to complain loses. Nice, <laughs> nice. Not any real prize, but we started playing that. Put the meaning to secondhand smoke. <laughs> Let's have a little break and we'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And then, so we were, we were going to Las Vegas that time and, um, it was so fucking horrifying. I don't, it, it was our, um, it was our rhythm guitarist birthday and she was having what she called the kissing competition. And we were staying in these two shitty motel rooms, uh, like right near wherever, you know, on the outskirts of town, wherever the gig was at the VFW mm -hmm. hall. And so both yeah. the doors were open and everyone was going back and forth. And there was like tons of like, you know, marijuana just laying around on the, on the, you know top of the dresser which was insanely illegal in las vegas 
Freddie had gotten right. arrested earlier for dancing on top of a roulette table. So he was in jail. Um, we, were, we were all like wasted as fuck. And then um, we were just totally oblivious because we were so high. And then suddenly the cops came in and they were, and then all of a sudden, like, they're like, oh, you know, like they, they made a beeline for the, for the pot on the dresser. And then Marsky, uh, you know, whose birthday it was, was so fucking wasted. She'd already been making out with like every member of TSOL and their manager, Mike, you know, just saying, this is the kissing competition. I started it at the club. And so they're like, who's this, the marijuana? And we're all looking around like, uh, uh, and Marsky just like walked sideways up to the cop. She was so high. And she was like, dude, it's my birthday. Would you like to join the kissing competition? Cops <laughs> just like looked at each other. And then she just climbed on him like an orangutan and started making out with him. And Whoa. Then, yeah. And then he's like, um, uh, uh, I'm going to take this away and you guys keep the noise down. And they just left. Nice. Yeah. That was like that was like perks of being with with all girls. But yeah, that right. trip, that that trip with TSL was so fucking insane. <laughs> Even and, and after that, that Mike Rainey started managing us. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe because of the kissing competition. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Sounds about right. But so um well what about what about um you were gonna start to tell me about touring with Flipper. Well, Flipper was, was rough, you know, because I, I, I mentioned a uh, drug problem of two different drugs at one time. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they, 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 we, we all sat in, in this, this bread truck that only went 65 miles an hour. It's like you're like crawling across America and whoever put the tour together was put like, you know, it was like it was like San Francisco, L.A., Denver. You know, so it'd be like, oh, these, yeah. like the, the, the jumps, like, you know, and you got to get to Denver overnight or basically you got to just drive, you just got to drive 24 hours straight to get there. And it's like things like that. And then it's also the, the really, really part of it was a, it was a three month tour. We were on tour for three months. And we went out to New, we went to, yeah, we went out to New York and stayed at a friend's apartment there, like, like that'd be our headquarters. And then we'd, we'd go up and down the coast and come, but come back to New York. And half, like halfway through the tour, two thirds through the tour, uh, Bruce just quit. Was the was the uh, Bruce and Will split the bass playing, lead singing, and so Bruce just quit and left. We had to get Demartis out. We flew uh, Demartis out. He was in a band called the Slug Lords. We flew him out there in like uh, Atlanta or Nashville or someplace like that. We get in there, and it was just it was just bizarre, you know. And, and on top of all, like you know, Slipper didn't really get along. They didn't get along at all. It's always bickering, bitching, yelling. You know, it was like it was. It was like for them and me. It was like I was the one that had to take it all on. I was the road manager, and and you know, it just I'd, I'd make peace with everybody. Uh, it just it was it was just a really rough tour, man. I like I I I sort of knew it the minute I got in the van with them. I'm like, oh fuck, this is gonna be this is gonna be hard. And and Ted Falcone, who who I love Ted to death. He's a guitar player. He's awesome. But, you know, he's, he was in the Army a million years ago. You know, he sort of got this iron rule. You can't do things, you know. I couldn't wear a Walkman. I, well, 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 you know, this, that's how long ago. Wear a Walkman while driving because I'm listening to music because I wouldn't. I might not be able to hear if the engine blows up. I'm going, really? <laughs> you know, I need to hear if the engine blows up because if the engine blows up, we're pretty much fucked, you know, and shit like that. It was just insane. But, you know, it was weird. But the worst thing happening with, with them, I, I don't think it was, I think it was them, but maybe not. Is the apartment we shared it was Denise Sandanko's apartment was in uh, 
the Lower East Side. It was across the street from the Hell's Angel building. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Fourth Street. Fourth Street? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a Third Street, I think. Was it Third? It was a, that was Fourth. Whatever. whatever. Yeah, one of the, you're probably right. And anyway, uh, I was I was in there, and I, I came up uh, upstairs. Uh, I, I, I was going to get a cup of coffee, you know, and it was really early, and I was strung and wasted. And I came upstairs, and I walked out in, in, out, out, of, out of the you know front door of the apartment building across the street, and the whole street was full of DEA agents and and and, and FT, uh, you know, you know, ATF and and FBI and New York City cops, and they were raiding the uh, the, the, the 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 Hell's Angel building. And I stepped out and, you know, and I, like, you know, punk rock clothes, not that far from what the hell is angel wearing, except I'm not wearing colors. I had a cut off black t-shirt, I had black jeans, I had motorcycle boots. And I walked outside, I turned and I was like, all these cops, they all turned and looked at me. I was like, mm. and I just sort of back to back, back in the building, you know, just sort of left. And they, I guess they, they went over there and, and raided it and, and busted them all. But it was, wow. it was totally insane. Yeah, it was totally insane. You know, like, this is weird. Wow, that's crazy. Let, let's hear some flipper. Here we are back again. Um, so, where, like, when when you were when you were touring, what was what was like? Um, aside from like drug drug scoring, what was like one of the funnest places you played, or not dangerous, or you know, like where where was like where did you always have the best times on the road? Well, I mean, yeah, some you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of times it just had to do with 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 where it could score drugs but besides the fact that you know the candies would play little tiny small towns with, with and 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 we you know we, we used to call them turd town tours because we play like little little shithole towns you know not little not too little but you know like 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 not many bands you know we play eudora arkansas or something like that you know not not that we ever played there but we, we play like smaller towns like morris pennsylvania and things like that and all these kids would come out you know, and th and that was that was really cool because it was like it was like they wanted a show. You know, there wasn't a bunch of skinheads who come on and try and kill you. There was like all these kids who who never saw shows, who you know were like little punk rockers in their at home and listening to on you know radio or tape cassettes or whatever the hell it was. And we do that. I, we we did a show in Regina, Regina, uh, Canada, Alberta, Canada, wherever that is, Regina, Canada. And it was just snow. It was ten feet of snow. It was crazy. And they had this big Quonset hut. And they turned the heat on so that the amps would work. And I was like, I'm going. No one's coming. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. The city's got like twenty people in it. You know, it was like just crazy. And seven thirty that night, like you know, three four thousand kids showed up. Wow. It was just insane. It was amazing. It was totally amazing. It was really cool. And I was like, so that's the stuff I really like. I like, like playing like you know where people really wanted to see the band. You know. And big cities, everybody's jaded. Everybody's like, fuck, yeah, I've seen the candies. Yeah, I've seen Flipper, whatever. You know, but these kids had never seen shit. And they want to come out and see it. And they bought a ton of T-shirts. They did all this stuff. So those, those were always fun. Those were always a good time. 
you know, I wasn't breaking up fights. I wasn't getting in the hassle with the, with the promoter. I wasn't dealing with that kind of shit. I was doing people that generally like to see us. <laughs> that was a, that was total different. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally cool. Like always, when we got back to LA, um, my bassist, Laura used to say, um, because people would come and see us when we came off the tour, but the tours were always so much fun. And it was always that kind of a reaction. Like you said, that yeah. we'd go on stage and there'd just be people standing there. And then after, after like the fourth or fifth time that happened, <laughs> Laura said, you know, the thing I don't like about LA is that everyone comes to see who comes to see your shows is in a band that's just a little bit better than yours. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what they acted like, you know what I mean? And then right. you'd have been playing like with you guys or with like my band or something. It would be like, like you know, three weeks or six weeks of just like insane, amazing shows with fun people and just great times and stuff. I mean, yeah, from like you know the break, the breakdowns or the occasional order arrests. Or right, right. And <laughs> um, so, like. So how how long kind of was your your whole road career? You don't you don't still do that anymore, right? No, no, I stopped doing that. I, you know, my, my career ended just because of drug addiction. But uh, it, it was a good six years, seven years, and I started out really early. Eight, eight, I think if I get the timeline, I was messing. I, I was fumbling on the timeline earlier, but eighty one I started, and the last few shows I did were eighty seven, eighty eight. That's what sort of ended. So it, it was a long run. And in two in life, like just like dog life, that's a long, that's a long run. Yeah, that's you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I and I, you know, I I I evolved from being, you know, like like a, a roadie and, and into like head of the road crew into road manager and things like that, just sort of advanced up there. And um, so the next kind of thing is then, you know, going into you know, band management. I didn't really want to do that, you know. I, I, I had enough of those people on the road, <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, we're good. We can separate now. I never see you again for another, another two months, something like that. Cause you know, I love, I love the, I, you know, I love most people at bands I work with, but you know, it, when you're really in close quarters and you're with, with somebody like that, you sort of, you know, gets a little tiring. Yeah. Um, when did you, when did you start writing? Were you already writing like before or were you keeping diaries like while you were on tour or anything or just, no, I didn't keep any diaries on tour. Like it wasn't, I wasn't even that, it wasn't even in that kind of realm, you know, and, and, you know, unfortunately I didn't keep a lot of documentation. I didn't take a lot of pictures, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of stuff, which, which is, which is sad because, it, you know, punk rock was so immediate it, it, all that stuff's gone. We, we don't, we know that there was just, there, there's no history of it. My, my writing took off from a, a total different angle was that my diction took over and uh, I went from, you know, you know, from, you know, 17 year old getting involved with, with punk rock to 20 years later, uh, you know, being a dope fiend. Uh, uh, and the only thing punk rock about me is I got a leather jacket. And what basically what I'm doing is I'm living in some pretty shitty parts of San Francisco. And I started hold, doing holdups to pay for my uh, my addiction. And what happened is I escalated from, you know, stupid uh, 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 gas station type things like, you know, convenience stores, where the hell I'm doing to bank robbery. And I started robbing banks for a few years and got nailed and busted on that for uh, a court case, so on and so forth. And finally got convicted and did time in San Quentin. But while I was in county jail, I uh, uh, went to an adult education class. I had a, a serial killer for a celly. 
And so it was locked in the cell. Was that anyone famous? No, he was, in San Francisco, he was famous called the Digitalis because him and his girlfriend would, would feed Digitalis to these, uh, you know, the plant to, to these old men who they had sign over their stuff and these old men would die and leave them their houses and stuff like that. Ah, that's but but after, the, after the fourth guy, they're kind of like, this looks a little suspicious here. Now you own five houses, you know, that kind of thing. But that was, that was my silly. He would, see, he would do things like, hey, you want some candy? And I'm like, hell no, I don't want anything from you, man. <laughs> but I, I got into a uh i went i went i they, they offered adult education classes in 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 county jail in san francisco at least back then they did and i went to a, a creative writing class and i dug it i really dug it it was it was kind of cool i wrote like about all the people I, I i used to hang out with and crimes i pulled and stuff like that and then when i got convicted went to san quentin there was a writing club there too and i got involved with those guys and they were serious they were serious writers they're really good and i got a lot of really good reactions from from uh uh from from that and I sort of considered myself a writer but I wasn't really you know wasn't sure and when I got on parole I I, I uh uh I got I I got a blog and you know this, this is again how old it was a blog I got a blog <laughs> on the internet and I started writing uh like 1,000 word pieces every every week and publishing them. I got a really good response from that too and about six years after uh, all that I went back to school and I got my master's degree in creative writing at Antioch University of Los Angeles and that that's when I sort of considered myself to be a, a writer you know I don't I don't know if I need a piece of paper to do that but I, I got recognition for it and my thesis became my first book so that, that's what all that's the whole evolution of my writing career your, your writing is great so tell um tell tell our listeners about um like a typical bank robbery or like like how innovative you got with your robbery you know <laughs> <laughs> well, and originally there was three of us. There was there was, there was me and the other guy that would go in, and a, and, a, and a kid that drove for us. And we would sit out front. We'd watch things. And we'd see when when it was crowded, when it wasn't crowded. We see when the bank truck came up, picked up all the money. We sort of watched for a while, and then then we we you know decided time that was less busy. And we always decided you know we definitely wanted a bank where there wasn't a security guard with a gun inside and all these other things. And so me and my friend would go in. And what we started doing was going in disguises. We we uh, you know wear suits and fake mustaches and wigs. I had I had a I had a baseball cap with a fake ponytail out the back of it. You know, one time we went in dressed as a, a we had a, a motorcycle leather gear and helmets. We ran in and did the thing. Ran ran out and jumped in the car, thinking for sure the cops would think we were leaving on a on a on a, on a, a motorcycle. And so we did, did those kind of things. You know, it's it's quick. I mean, you you have you have a. a you're like 90 seconds to get in and get out. You kind of get in there and, you know, that's once you start the bank robbery, you know, you go stand in line. Once you hit the teller, you show them the gun and you, 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 there's no notes involved. You don't, you don't, you just go here's the gun and they open the, the cash register. Somebody somewhere is pulling an alarm in, in that, in that, in that building. And so you, you, you got, you got to get the register, you got to get money out of the register and you got to get the fuck out of there. You know, so that, that's basically what it was. And we, you know, it, it, it was, it was just, trying to be innovative the thing was when we first started robbing banks we uh uh we would just dress, dress like we normally dress we just like punk rock we go and cut off t-shirts you know not exactly like and 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 the, the San Francisco chronicle would, would, was publishing because we got pretty notorious because we were hitting them all the time and was publishing uh, uh articles about us and they said call us the men in black that's what they called us because okay? they always call you something the robbers the men in black because there's two of us and we'd be in black and uh I started cutting those articles out uh, for the newspapers and, and taped them up in my kitchen wall 
you know, like it was like, you know, our reviews of our work or something like that. And when the cops came and they kicked in my door, they just walked in the kitchen and oh man, you gotta be kidding me. These people are stupid. Is that? <laughs> I mean, that was all oh, over. Yeah. oh my God, that's so sick. <laughs> like, like, Look, I'm famous. <laughs> It was in my own mind. It was hilarious. Oh my god! So, um, wow. Like, how? Uh, I don't even. I don't even know what to. Uh, I don't even know what to ask now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. Was there? Was there surveillance in the banks? Was there? Was there like surveillance cameras at that point when you were doing? Yeah, there were. There were. There were surveillance cameras, but they were. They were looking. They looked down on you. That, that, you know, oh, that, to make like, sure the teller wasn't stealing. Yeah, there's like the weird things like that. But but all, you know, they were just surveillance cameras all, all up high, so you don't really notice them. And when uh, uh, when I was in I was in A fifty Bryant, which is the cop shop in 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 uh, San Francisco, and they, that's where they busted me. Uh, the feds came in, and the feds were going to pick up the case because it was you know because of the bank robberies. And uh, the state of California said, no, don't do that. We're, we're gonna we're gonna get, we're gonna three strike them. We're gonna, we're gonna you know give them three strikes and put them away for life. And uh, which is a bastardization of the law because they're just gonna go one two three and then, then put me away. Uh, but uh, uh, the feds pulled out a, a notebook full of uh, glossy photos, stills from the from the surveillance cameras. And I'd see, I saw a bunch of me in there. There's a bunch of pictures. There was a bunch of other bank robbers, like you know, guys in trench coats with AK-47s and all this like that. And I'm like, wow, they're 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 pretty into it. But then there'd be like this weird shot of me from the top with my ponytail, my fake ponytail, and my little baseball cap, my business suit, or, or the fake mustache. And I go, ooh, you know, they're like, see anybody you recognize? Like, nope, don't see, <laughs> don't see anybody in there. How they know that? Wait, were they just showing you random? photos or or they know that that was you they they knew that was me they they totally knew okay. it was me you know okay. they they totally figured out they 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 what they're trying to say in their in their you know inept sort of way was we got you we totally yeah. got you you know and what they wanted me to do is go oh that's me look that's me and and totally admit it you know the the one the cop walked the woman the one of the women at FBI she walks in looks at me goes you're not a bank robber and I was like okay good you know but she wanted me to go. Oh yeah, bitch. Yeah, I'm a bank robber. You know, you know they, they play these mind games with you. But you're not a bank robber. I went cool. I'm not a bank robber. <laughs> oh my god, you fucking cops! Wow. I'm sorry. This could go on for ages. So, um, <laughs> so, like, I mean, when you're looking back on all of this, like, what what goes through your mind? Well, I mean, you know, it's the, like I talked about earlier, it, 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 it was so, you know, live fast, die young. And I, there's a whole lot of people that aren't in my life anymore. It's pretty hard to deal with, you know, the fact that none of it was really documented, you know, I kind of, I want to put those people down on paper so that they do, they are known. So they're, 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 yeah. they're it's a piece of history, you know, and, you know, all of us did this thing and now we're doing something else. And now we're like, you know, living our lives. It's other thing like that. And it's almost like, like it, 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 it's so undocumented. It's almost like it didn't happen in a lot of ways, you know. And if you weren't, if you weren't one of the big bands that, that really totally made it, you were like the, the behind the scenes person, like I was, you know, kind of like that. It's like, it's like I, I just want to, you know, put our piece of history in there, you know, talk about us, talk about what we did, and talk about all the people. And and you know, and there's an acknowledgement in the back of my book, and and half the names in there got RIP behind them. Yeah. You know? And those those were like amazing people, you know. And, you know, they had brilliant lives. You know, one of my best friends was, was Will Shatter. He was, a you know, for, with Flipper. 
and you know he died really young and uh drug overdose and uh uh you know that guy was larger than life i thought he'd already be my friend we'd be together as friends for the rest of our lives and it was cut short you know chris grayson was murdered in a drug deal yeah you know all these things all these things happened you know and you know with the way the thing the way thing the way the world is is that 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 they have their place in history like what people remember that but it's not not going to get passed down. That's not a story that's going to go to somebody else. You know, unfortunately, Chris, you know, no one but us is going to remember Chris. You know, it's not going to be like he was a, a memorialized in anything. You know, uh, Will Shatter has this place like like they people you know know his music, but you know, Flipper's an obscure band. You know, and I want to really put these people down, and, and that's what, so you know. And, and also, I really wanted to. Um, work through my shit with the stuff you know it's like I've, I've had to you know grapple with who i am if i'm not a d drug addict i'm not a, in the music industry if i'm not on the road you know it, I, I need to, to come to peace with my history too you know and that that's what a lot of my writing was about there yeah you yeah i mean your writing is so good it's so immediate it, it really like can pull whoever's reading it just right into whatever you're doing i love that and you know i always if I'm ever reading like a, you know, punk rock sort of book or something, there's always people in it that, that I know, you know, yeah. and so I have to, I always have to walk that little line, like, is this a great book or do I just like it because my friends are <laughs> <laughs> right. But, right. Yours, was, yours is just so good. You're such a great writer. Well, thank so, you. So tell, um, tell anybody if you've got stuff, like if you're doing any virtual events or any kind of live stuff that you know of or um you know you, you guys can always follow him on social media and that'll be in the in the episode description but yeah yeah or you go to my website which is uh patrick p-a-t-r-i-c-k dash o'neill o-n-e-i-l dot com it has all that stuff in it too i'm doing a reading in echo park for rorschach on the i forget what it is 31st or something like that coming up 31st um, of uh, of, July or August? Uh, uh July. We're coming okay. up on, on July. Wait, uh, I feel like I, I'm on the road. What month is it? No. <laughs> I, exactly. Exactly how I feel. Like, where, where, what? Um, you know, and then I'll, I'll have more stuff coming up. I'm going to have a book release party. I'm going to do some stuff. I, I just been sort of slacking all my things. The book came out and I just sort of been slacking. Book came out in May. It's, it was weird. It's weird having stuff in COVID. It's a lot different. You know, like like will people come? Will people not come? Do, I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to do a virtual event. You know, but I don't want. I don't want my book release to be the super spreader event. On <laughs> that motherfucker got me COVID. <laughs> you know, I don't want one of those things. I remember him. He got me COVID. You know, went from bank robbing to super spreading. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I got. I got a. I got a. Uh, I got a. I got another novel. I got a novel. I got a trilogy of novels coming out. I've written the two first two already, and they're a noir crime novel set in L.A. It's called L.A. County is the first one, and that should be coming out soon. And, uh, you know, I just keep stay tuned. There's a bunch of stuff coming out, especially around this book. Yay, that's good. Um, all right. So, you guys, that that was Patrick O'Neill, and we could have stayed on probably for like another hour or so, but my podcast isn't that long, but definitely find him. Read this book. This book is incredible. If you have any interest in rock and roll or punk rock, there's just such a good behind the scenes story about it. Um, you know, like about, about how the other half was living. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, thank you for coming on, Patrick. 
Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. Okay, take care. And um, I hope next time I see you, you're wearing a baseball cap with a with a ponytail attached. <laughs> <laughs> All right, goodbye. Bye. The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.